another day, another show, another opener about how we're in the middle of a pandemic and blah, blah, blah. So let's just get to it. Hopefully everyone's doing well. Welcome back in. Hopefully you've been recommending this show and this podcast to all your friends who love both college basketball and Kansas basketball. And if you haven't, then you're dead to me. I am Jonas Nordman. Appreciate you listening, That all, all those people that are listening. The Believe in Jayhawks basketball show, the program on the Believe Podcast Network. Things are, you know, we're trudging along. Uh, the biggest news in my life right now, I got a drink that has coconut milk in it today. That's sort of the big deal in my life. Um, I'm trying to stay woke. I was told that almond milk is bad news for the environment. I usually go with oat milk because I am bougie. They were out of it, so I got coconut. And now, you know, that's a crazy Wednesday for me. <laughs> Believe in Jayhawks on the Believe Podcast Network. You're number one, a podcast home for professionals. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I believe that I have to still get to the docket. So here's what we're going to talk about today. There was some news made with historically black colleges recently. Going to get into that real briefly. Then, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We don't really have anything much else going on. So what are you going to do? Going to talk about the newest bracketology that came out. <laughs> because even though I loathe bracketology, again, I like to give the people an idea of where teams and programs stand as we potentially head into another season. And then I'm going to put a pause real quickly on our player in review series. Uh, we only have the one player left. <coughs> Cough, Yudoka Azabuki. And I'm going to, once again, because we're getting really close to the NBA restarting, potentially. There's a lot of news with the bubble and players not eating well or, you know, millionaires complaining about normal food. So what I wanted to do is resume, actually, a couple players that will actually be on teams in that bubble, in that NBA restart. Biggest issue with that, not a lot of Jayhawks there. Not a lot of Jayhawks in the NBA right now. So maybe we'll dig into that at a later point. I know I've had a fan, it was Ben, who messaged in and said, what is it about KU players and the NBA? So that may be something to take a look at. But first, again, thank you for listening. Believe in Jayhawks basketball program. There was some news made. This is a player that wasn't necessarily going to come to Kansas regardless. Um, Makur Maker. If you recognize the last name, I'm not talking about uh, the drink Maker's Mark, if you're familiar. Hey, you do you. Um, his, he, that is, this is the younger brother of Thawne Maker, who was an NBA player, played for the Bucks, played for the Pistons. I'm not sure where he's at right now. But Makur Maker sent some shockwaves through the college basketball world by declaring for a school that's a little bit outside of the usual sphere of where you might get recruited, right? Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, UCLA, you know, Michigan State, the heavy hitters, Texas, whatever you want to do. Texas Tech recruits well now. Oklahoma State. No, McCurr Maker is going to go to Howard University, described in the undefeated as a preeminent university and the citadel of historically black colleges and universities. So yeah, this is the first or certainly the first in a long time major recruit that is deciding to go to an HBCU, to which I say that's awesome. 
you know, the more attention we can get. Perhaps we could get some really good competition from different schools. But the big topic is now, oh, is this going to start a trend? Is McCurr Maker going to start have start the trend of players going to HBCUs instead of Kansas, instead of Duke, instead of Kentucky? And my answer to that, IMHO, in my humble opinion, is I doubt it. One, you know, a little cynically I'll say, they probably don't have the budgets to compete to get those players to go there. If you if you read, if you're picking up what I'm throwing down right here. Um, and on top of that, it sort of is the same reason that we had the whole discussion, right, with the G League. Is this going to start a trend of the top flight players going to the G League instead of going to college? And it comes down to exposure. McCurr Maker is probably not going to get seen on TV and get the same endorsement deals after going to Howard that he would by going to a school in the Big 12, ACC, SEC, Pac-12. You get the idea. Big 10. So I don't think it necessarily hurts your draft prospects because I think NBA teams basically know who's going to go in the top 10 by the time you graduate high school for each class. Like it takes something pretty special for a guy to be a major riser up and down or faller in the NBA draft. Like we sort of know based on high school rankings, who's going to go where the college season is basically used to determine the needs and wants of an NBA team. Okay. How has this guy responded to better competition, but they know who the talents are. So it's not going to hurt makers draft position, but the exposure is why I don't necessarily think players such as Mikey Williams. This is the kid that maker is trying to really not pander to, but politic. He wants Mikey Williams, who's already like an Instagram star. And he's like 14 supposed to be super talented. LeBron loves him. He's got the ladies thirst trapping all over his Instagram page. It's, It's a little weird. He's got a good hairstyle though. Look up Mikey Williams if you want, but uh, McCurr Maker wants him to go to a historically black college and university as well. I don't know. This kid seems a little bit too big time. I think he wants to go to a place like Kentucky, like Kansas, you know, the traditional powers. Or he may see himself as a trailblazer, do something crazy. Maybe he will go to the G League. I don't know. But this is all a way of saying, will top recruits start going to HBCUs? Probably not. (laughs) Real solid answer right there, right? That's some hard-hitting analysis right here on the Believe in Jayhawks basketball program. Moving on, because, I mean, who knows, right? This is all us predicting the future and trying to read the minds of teenagers, which is a dangerous thing to do. Very volatile. So I moved to the ESPN college basketball, men's college basketball front page, and what do I see? (laughs) A little bracketology just dropping today here on Wednesday. July 15th. Can't believe it. And the headline is, Big 12 features five of nation's top 12 teams. Okay. I thought the Big 12 might be stronger this upcoming season, if we have a season. Didn't realize it might be that strong. And I was wondering, who are these five teams that Joe Lunardi, Joey Brackets, if you will, that Joe Lunardi is imagining will be amongst the nation's best? Baylor and Kansas, we know, but let's check the seedings. 
Because what he says, it's five teams that are all three seeds or better. If you're a three seed or better, you've had yourself a pretty good year. And this is going to make the Big 12 a lot tougher than I thought next year. Okay, here's the one seeds that Joe Lunardi is projecting. Again, if you've been listening to this program, you can probably recite this with me. We'll start at the top. Gonzaga in the West. Denver Regional, by the way. In the East, Brooklyn. That'll be fun at the Barclays Center. Villanova is your one seed. In the Midwest, Minneapolis. He has Virginia as the one seed there. I think you probably know where I'm about to go with this in just a second. And in the South, Memphis. Get some barbecue down there. Go to... Graceland, Elvis's old house. He has Baylor as the one seed. So there's your first Big 12 team, Baylor. Imagines they're going to be probably number three in the nation because if they're in the South and Virginia is in the Midwest in Minneapolis, you know, just regionally guessing off of that. Your two seeds, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Duke in the South there, which would be tough for Baylor, as well as Kansas in that regional with Virginia. Again, this is probably not going to how it's all <laughs> going to fall. But there is your second Big 12 team. It is, of course, your Believe in Jayhawks, the number two seed, and they would play in Wichita. So there is a Wichita regional this year, or the first and second round, which is huge for KU. And if they were to play a team like Virginia in Minneapolis, that's a home, home court advantage for KU. So that would be huge. But the purpose of this exercise is to see the strength of the conference. So we have Baylor as a one seed, Kansas as a two seed, your other top 12 teams are Texas, which I found to be kind of interesting. As a three seed? All right, they're really going to improve, apparently. West Virginia, apparently they're going to be making some baskets next year. Don't see that happening. Although they do still have the big guys, they still have that powerful duo underneath the basket. And the number three, or three seed, Texas Tech, which I do believe they're going to be talented next year. So the top half of the Big 12 is going to be tough. And then remember, Cade Cunningham is going to play for Oklahoma State and his brother, who just so happens to be an assistant coach there. So that's a really, really good player who could be the number one draft pick in years in one year's time, playing on otherwise a middling to bottom tier Big 12 team. No gimmies next year. KU wants to repeat. They're going to have to go through a top three team in Baylor, other solid programs, and apparently Texas, West Virginia, and Texas Tech, and then a really good player at Oklahoma State, and then the rivalry games against K-State. Who stinks? Can't wait. Look, if they're going to play a a conference-only schedule next year, (laughs) they're going to earn their place. Appreciate you listening as per usual. Believe in Jayhawks basketball program. I am Jonas Nordman at JonasN310 on the gram. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, feeling lonely during these times and just need someone to talk to, that's me. Feel free. So now I'm going to move on to the big boys. The big news in the world these days is those poor NBA players not eating like kings. Oh, God. The nerve. The NBA not to serve them five-star Michelin-grade gourmet meals as they're spending a billion dollars 
on this NBA bubble down there in Orlando. So they skimp and you have something that resembles an in-flight meal or just a chicken breast. Poor guys. Playing basketball for a living. Anyways, I wanted to resume and talk about three more players. Again, the issue is I went through about half of the teams that are down there in Orlando. I went from number 22 up to about 11. In fact, I kept going to seventh team that's down there. I went off of like a power rankings. And I only found three Jayhawks in the bottom tier of the teams that are down there in Orlando, including one who's not even active. So let's get to them. I start with the Phoenix Suns who just crept their way into this bubble. Remember, uh, we did this exercise uh, about a month ago, talked about Devontae Graham, his great year, C. Mikhail Luke, et cetera, et cetera. Here's a blast from the past. Who remembers this guy? I think he's from the Congo, right? Shek Diallo. Shek Check. Mike, Mike Shek. What kind of year did Shek have? 6'8", 219 pounds. Well, he only averages about 10.6 minutes per game. This is his first season with the Phoenix Suns. He is a bit player. A big off the bench. Still athletic. Still runs the floor well. Not much has changed from his days at KU, his limited days. The numbers on Sheck, he played on in the 44 games this year, only started two. 4.8 points per game, excuse me. 2.9 rebounds per game. So, it is what it is. 4.8 points per game is actually the lowest of his career, his four-year career. His high was actually last year for New Orleans, six points per game. So, Sheck is still figuring it out. Still athletic, still long, still having trouble getting on the floor. But he's only 23. He's only 23. This is only his fourth year in the league. Still an opportunity. Look, it's... Really, it never been easier to be a big man in the NBA. Sure, you're marginalized, and if you can shoot the three, it's great. If you can't shoot the three, just be super athletic, be a pogo stick up and down, play great defense, block shots, and get rebounds. I call it the DeAndre Jordan position. Like, DJ is not going to shoot threes, but he's going to block some shots, he's going to rebound the ball, and he's going to dunk. And I think that's what Shek Diallo can do. Can do. We'll keep it with the Phoenix Suns here. And all of a sudden, my page didn't load, which is awesome. But this is a very fashionable guy. A guy whose hair is his brand. Very handsome young man. I'm, of course, talking about Kelly Oubre Jr. And if you remember, it was on this very program, we broke the news. Well, I got the news, and then I broke the news that he got hurt. Kelly Oubre had surgery to repair a torn meniscus about four months ago. And just an hour ago, uh, there was news from the Arizona Republic that reported Oubre is pretty close to coming back physically, but he's not mentally back yet. So he still listed his out, but on the court, he had a really good year. 18.7 points per game, 6.4 rebounds per game, 1.5 assists per game. I mean, this is a guy who's a key player for the Phoenix Suns. 
played in 56 games, started 55 of them, averaging 34.5 uh, minutes per game. Excuse me. He's an athlete. He plays good defense. And this is a guy who, if you follow the NBA, people know Kelly Oubre has some value. He's an interesting character. He's sponsored by Converse now, which is pretty sweet. <laughs> Field goal percentage, 45.2, not bad. Three-point percentage, 35.2, which is actually, taking a look here, the highest of his career, so he's still improving. This is a guy in Kelly Oubre, not a superstar per se, but a really, really good player who on the right team could blossom into a superstar. He's on a team with Devin Booker, who obviously takes a lot of shots. And Phoenix is not the most stable organization. But this is a guy who's a vital part of a team that's battling for a playoff spot. Tough division with the Lakers and the Clippers, yes. But Kelly Oubre and his fear God tattoos on both biceps. Yeah, I remember that. Good player. Now, the Enigma. I saw this guy's Insta story. He was one of the very many who's complaining about the food. Josh Jackson. Man, this career has not gone as I expected. I thought Josh Jackson, when he got drafted in 2017, was going to turn into a superstar. I really did. I, I thought this was the guy you wanted to take over Jason Tatum. Was I biased? Yes. <laughs> I'll be honest. I thought Jason Tatum was essentially a finished product already. I thought Josh Jackson was someone who, you know, the world was still in front of him. If he improved that jumper, he had the toughness. He still has the toughness. He had the grit and the defensive ability. And it turns out, how should I put this nicely? Josh Jackson has had some off-the-court issues that he's had to deal with. And I think it's translated to his on-the-court issues. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it. You know, just Josh Jackson problems. Gets suspended by the G League. And so this was his first year with Memphis. And as I look at the regular season for Josh Jackson, the thing that set, sticks out to me for his time in Memphis is that he's only played 18 games for them. Why is that? Well, it's because he played 26 games for the Memphis Hustle. No, that's not a team from Semi-Pro, the Will Ferrell movie. That is the Memphis franchise in the G League, which he got suspended a game from. But he's sort of figuring it out. He's getting some playing time on a tough, gritty Memphis team. This might be a good situation for him. A young superstar in John Morant. You know, this is an, a young up-and-coming team. Perhaps he can latch on to this young core and sort of have a Kelly Oubre type of career. I, I sort of see similar characteristics if he can improve his three-point shooting. Although he only made about three per game down in the G League. And in the NBA this year, he's only shooting 31.9. We'll call it 32% for Josh Jackson. So in the NBA this year, in his... 18 games played. He averages basically 20 minutes and scores 10 points per game for the Memphis Grizzlies. So hopefully he's figured it out. I hope, because I don't want to look like a fool, mostly. <laughs> That's what's most important here. Josh Jackson becoming a good guy, becoming a good player, providing for his family. No, I just don't want to look like a fool. 
here on the Believe in Jayhawks basketball program. So that's our quick look at sort of the, the guys on the bottom feeder teams of the NBA bubble. Oh, they've got a highlight package here of Josh Jackson missing a dunk on ESPN. So that's things are really going well for him. <laughs> but as you can see, I've sort of left off some glaring omissions. The, the big boys of Kansas basketball, the ones who are still really carrying the flag for the Jayhawks pretty darn well in the NBA. Cough, Joel Embiid, Morris Twins. But a real dearth of Jayhawks and notable Jayhawks. Another topic for another time. We're right up against it right now. Appreciate you listening. As always, recommend to your friends or just set up like three computers in a row. Play it. Mute it. Doesn't matter to me. You do you. But this has been Jonas for the Jayhawks talking about Josh Jackson. Until next week, when we'll probably talk about the final player on our player review series, Yudoka Azubuki. Nope, been getting some comments back. Appreciate everything. Just make sure you're safe out there. Sending everyone a virtual hug and a virtual high five, if you will. And until next week, I bid you adieu. And as always, Rock Chalk. One, two. Three into the folks, Snoop Doggy Dog and Dr. Dre is at the dope. Ready to make an entrance, so back on up.